Seahawks uh, jersey on. That's a reminder that we're going to be talking about the red fire gifts uh, today and also that AC3 is a no-spoiler zone for those of us who might be, you know, recording the game. So, uh, so we, we, we enact Old Testament discipline if uh, there's a reveal, an early reveal on that. So just, you know, we're not particularly a charismatic church, so if there's a, like a hallelujah in the middle of this talk, you know, I'm going to know, all right? So just, just a little warning on that. So uh, I don't think there's any denying uh, that uh, we live in a cultural moment that is really fixated on the idea of individual talent, right? I mean, you see this in the superhero craze, right? So, you know, and you know, I love the uh, Avenger movie as much as the next person, but my, my goodness, if I see another one of these, another 10 before the end of the year, there's just a million of these, and I think the fixation is on this idea that there's just this, we're entranced, intoxicated with the idea that some people are just... They, they, they've got some special, fantastic ability, and they've just been pre-equipped with it, and it, it, it fascinates us. We see them on a mission to expose these and to lift them up and put them on a pedestal and worship them. And sometimes this can go horribly wrong. And the case in point for me is uh, reality TV and, and American Idol in particular. This is interesting. This week, I, um, if you ever want to just you know, sit down for a laugh, you just go listen to the montages of uh, American Idol audition fails. And this is really, really fascinating what's revealed here. I mean, some of these people who get rejected during the audition process, they, they have the audacity to sit there and look at three judges, you know who they are, and to say to these people who have platinum records that they've got in their background and all that history in the music industry, you, what do you know about singing? Someone literally said that. What do you know about singing? <laughs> so the hubris, right, the pride. But for me, I was analyzing it a little bit, and I thought the, the lack of self-awareness really spoke to this idea that in their mind, it's like, I have a singing gift, and it is for my glory, and heaven help the person who stands in the way of my own personal self-expression and self-fulfillment. Now listen, the spiritual gifts are not like that. They're not. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute, Rick. I mean, you subtitled the series, You Are Gifted. How can it not be about individual talent? Well, it's not. It goes far deeper than that, and I'll tell you how. It comes back down to our theme verse, and this is a review, so if you were here last week, you remember this. We'll hit on this every single week in this series here in October. It comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 12, verse 7. He says, now, to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good and all three of those parts to that little sentence are so important i just think we want to cement that in our mind so let's do that by saying those three phrases together all right say each one say manifestation of the spirit say common good and that's it we now have the biblical teaching on this thing and you understand that the, the emphasis is on what the end game is. So the distribution of special abilities by God's Spirit are for the common good. God shows up in your life and evidence of His presence in your life is this uncanny ability that you have to benefit the common good. The common good. So I begin here because the special grouping of gifts we're tackling today, the fire gifts um, are kind of like they're the leading gifts and so they're kind of like the american idol gifts of the body of christ they're up front they're the gifts that everybody sees they're the gifts that draw all the attention 
And so, um, by the way, if you want more content on this idea of underlining the gifting with servanthood, you can check out our, our event in the Version app. So look for Allen Creek Community Church, and in the Version app, you can get some additional content on this, and it's, it's good stuff for us to go over. And I'll just review what we said last week. Our four group giftings are not inspired. We understand that, although the Bible writers do sometimes group the gifts in their related categories. Uh, so... Uh, Last week we said that our categories break down like this. The wind gifts bring that sense of God's power and voice to the church. Uh, The earth gifts bring uh, a a sense of God's creativity and work to the church. The water gifts bring a sense of God's uh, nurture and care to the church. And the fire gifts we'll handle today bring a sense of God's order and direction to the church. And by the way, in this way, and each one of the groupings have something unique that they collectively bring to the church, the the fire gifts collectively are the gift groupings that all the other gifts get organized through. There's some sense in which all the other gifts, uh, the Bible mentions about 26 of them, they all get channeled through, organized through, processed through the fire gifts. So what are they? I thought I'd just go over the ones we've put in this group. And then we know what they are, and maybe you would begin to figure out whether you're you're here or not, or someone that you know might be here. Number one is leadership. So the gift of leadership is this uncanny ability to influence people where they are and to create urgency in them to focus on or act towards a goal or a value or a vision. Okay, that's leadership. And I'll use the word uncanny to describe all of these because that's the sense that it is a spirit gift. There is natural talent where people mimic this type of stuff, but it's uncanny in the body of Christ when people exercise these giftings because of the results that come out of them, okay? So leadership. This, the next one, we'll comment a little bit on this one, is apostleship. So the, you are a gifted apostle if you have the uncanny ability to pioneer stuff. So uh, uh, pioneering a new ministry, a new church, a missionary activity, church planting, overseeing multiple different um, ministry activities or development. Now let me just spend a minute here, because as soon as we say the word apostleship, a lot of you have drawn, your, your attention is drawn to the 12 apostles, as it should be. In the Bible, those 12 apostles are really set apart, and uh, three or four times they're set apart as special apostles and there's like a a special office that they hold these 12 and these 12 alone the word apostle comes from an original greek word that literally just means to be sent so these original 12 apostles these 12 disciples peter james john the whole group they were commissioned by jesus sent to be the foundation for christianity and jesus commissions them you're going to frame the faith once for all time why Well, they hold the very special privileged position of having seen everything that Jesus did from the time he started his ministry at his baptism all the way through his crucifixion, and then they ate and drank with the man after he rose bodily from the dead. That is a pretty special category of person. In that sense, there are no apostles today, right? You can't have a successor to that office. Right? They're no longer taking job applications for person who's seen everything Jesus said or did and his crucifixion and resurrected body. Right? You can't put that on your resume. So in that sense, there are no apostles. The wonderful thing, though, is that their office carries on. How does their office and their authority carry on, even though there's no more people who can fill that office? How does it carry on? 
It carries on through their collected writings. So we have the, the authority of the apostles that move forward by what they wrote down to frame the Christian faith for us, and we have that in the New Testament. So that piece is cool. So once we settled on this idea that no one today could have anywhere near the authority uh, or the office that the original 12 apostles had, then we can open up the idea that we do see already in the New Testament era a different kind of apostle showing up, okay? If you want to, you can say big A apostle, small A apostle. Are you with me? And so in the early church, you see that. Congregations would send out a worker on an errand. They would send out somebody on a missionary activity. They'd send out someone to plant a church from one church to another church. And so in this sense, there was small a apostles all over the New Testament church. So they're not like big A apostles directly commissioned by Jesus, but they are still apostles, sent ones. Men and women, by the way, there's a woman apostle mentioned in Romans chapter 16, Junia. So if you have this gifting, it's like you're a faith pioneer. Think about it like that. You're sent out, you start stuff. In fact, we've seen people with the gift of apostleship, and you just know that because they can't help themselves, they start stuff. They're, they're very entrepreneurial. They're always, in fact, we've had to rein them in. It's like, stop starting things. You know, we need to undergird and really you know, uh, build up and build a foundation over the things we've already started. But that's what they love to do. They love to start things. Missionary enterprise, different group. Sometimes they give leadership over many different things. They just love that stuff. That's an apostle. Now, prophecy, similarly with the gift of prophecy, we need to make a distinction, okay? In the way the word is used throughout Jewish history, you probably know this if you're an active Bible reader here uh, today, you know that these are people who specially communicate the word of God, right? Like they give special, direct, divine revelation so that they use the catchphrase, thus saith the Lord. That's their special catchphrase. Now, in that sense, again, I would just say, and I think it's important for us to believe, that there are no prophets today. And why would Christians believe that? Well, in part because God's revelation is complete when he shows up, right? That's the apex, you know? Revelation is progressive, Christians believe. So it's progressive to the point where it apexes in the self-revelation of God in the Son, and that and book is closed at that point because now God has fully revealed his plan and it will come to a culmination when Jesus returns again. That's how Christians kind of look at the whole prophetic trajectory as a concluding point at the ministry of Jesus, who, by the way, was listed as prophet, priest, and king, and the greatest of all those offices. So, um, so it, uh, it's true, then, that um, uh, there's no, if, there's, if it's true that there's no person who sits in that office today, is there... Uh, a small p prophet, again, a prophetic office that is given for the, all the church at all times and all places. And I think the answer to that is yes. So if we have no, like, capital P prophets, because if we did, we'd just be adding to the Bible, right? Like every single, the, a prophet in the church would speak, and we'd just keep adding pages to the Bible if it was the same kind of prophet, right? Now, by the way, just by comparison, Mormons do this. Christians do not. So, in fact, a Mormon will knock on your door, and one of the first questions they will ask is, do you believe that the gift of prophecy is still alive today? And most Christians who, you know, at least roughly conversant in their, in their scriptural text, they go, yeah, I think so, that's cool. And then that's the open door to open the idea that maybe Joseph Smith then could be a legitimate prophet who could add to the Bible, which Mormons believe has happened. Christians do not, for the reasons that I mentioned. 
So now we look then and say, okay, if we don't have people with a big P prophetic gift, do we have people with a small P prophetic gift? And the answer is yes. So you, you have the gift of prophecy. If you have this uncanny ability to communicate gospel truth and God's heart in a way that challenges people to get right with God. So this gift, the gift of the prophetic, usually goes along with a, with a special insight into God's word, an insight into uh, the gospel. And you see it operating again in the early church, small p prophets operating in the, in the uh, church in Corinth, for example. And Paul says, men and women, by the way, gifted prophets, are called for the upbringing the encouragement, or sorry, upbuilding, encouragement, and comfort of other believers. That's how it's being exercised. So in that sense, there's a lot, it almost seems like teaching, but it's different. It's not quite like teaching. It's not exactly. There is a prophetic manner that is different. There is an urgency in the prophetic. There's a confrontation in the prophetic. And that happens when the prophet, and some of you know this, because you've got a little itch You've got a little bee in your bonnet. When you see the current realities in your home, in the church, in the world, in culture, don't match gospel values and truth. And that just drives you crazy. You can point it out, and you are led to confront. That's the prophet. And so there you are, denouncing sometimes social ills, and you speak truth to power, and and you get yourself in trouble because you are ready to confront. That's the prophetic. Then evangelism. So evangelism is a word that maybe conjures up really bad memories for you because <laughs> you think about someone who proselytized you, right? They jammed their faith down your throat. That's not what this means. Evangelism comes from a Greek compound word. It literally comes from the word good news. So an evangelist is a good news spreader. And it just simply means to share your faith with somebody else. Now, This is really important because this will apply not just to this particular gift, but to a lot of different gifts. If you call yourself a Christian here today, you are called to build certain character traits and certain habits into your life, and it's universal no matter what gift you have. So every single one of us who loves the Lord Jesus is called. We're under sort of an obligation when as the opportunity arises to share our faith winsomely with gentleness and respect, Uh, with someone else someone who doesn't currently follow jesus that's everybody's job that's everybody's responsibility but the gift of evangelism is different so if you're gifted in this way it's this uncanny ability that you have to explain christianity in a way that non-christians readily understand and respond to by putting their trust and hope in christ in fact it is uncanny in in the level of success that gifted evangelists have It's uncanny in the level of freedom that they have to share their faith. And you may have this gift if you tend to judge other Christians because they don't share their faith enough. And you may also have this uh, gift if you find that, um, you know, doors just kind of open and you have this um, wild freedom to be able to uh, share your gift. So that's the gift of evangelism. Next, the gift of teaching. So here I am standing in front of you. My label uh, is Senior Pastor of Allen Creek Community Church, so I'm a pastor, but I teach. I teach every weekend, so it may cause a lot of us to amalgamate the two giftings, pastor and teacher. But here's the thing. I don't think they're the same thing. We've actually put the pastor gift, which the root word there, shepherd, we've put that in the blue giftings. We'll talk about that week four. 
Why? What a shepherd does is they take another disciple under their wing. And they care for that person and they nurture them in the faith. Now, guess what? You can't do that work. That's, a, that's sort of paternal a little bit, isn't it? It's, a little, it's shepherding. Yeah? You can't do that without doing some teaching. So that's why the two jobs uh, sometimes get commingled. So here's what we could say. We might say every gifted pastor must also teach. It's just going to be part of what you do as a shepherd. But not every gifted teacher is a gifted pastor. And that's really true. Like, and some of you have experienced that, right? Where there's a person who was a really great, great, great disseminator of, of Bible truth, but they're in personal relationship, they were just a robot. Like they were just, they could not relate to you, and there was no interest, they had no empathy, they had no mercy, right? So these are two different things. Teaching is simply that gift that shows up with a profound ability to an interest and passion to study the scripture to want to disseminate the truths that you find out there okay and here's what i found the person with the teaching gift gets as excited about the study piece as they do about the presenting piece there are some people who quote have the gift of the gab all right and they they can get in front of people and they can wax on for 10 minutes they just they're easy in front of crowds no problem they don't necessarily have the gift of teaching the gift of teaching is i noticed it's in the noodling over a bible idea when i was uh, you know, this was like embryonic in my life when I was 15, 16 years old, freshly saved. And I remember I would, I would open up my Bible, I'd read something, and it would just resonate in me, and it would, one verse would connect to another verse, and it would start to be a profound set of principles and values and connections. I would close the Bible, and I would start to preach, literally in my bedroom there, and I would just start to go through, whisper like this, and then, and I would start to teach to no one in particular. So this is, you're a bit crazy if you have this gift, is what I'm saying. And so, uh, so the, the teacher loves that preparation piece and what it's doing inside of them, and then it just ha- can't help it. It's got to come out, and they've got to share it. All right. Um, lastly, discernment. So the gift of discernment is a gift often, not always, often carried by introverts. So it's a divine ability to identify falsehood. So people with the gift of discernment are often just observing they're sly. You know, they're just sitting there looking at stuff, just observing it, and sometimes don't speak a whole lot. And then they can have this uncanny ability to distinguish between right and wrong motives in another person. And, um, and sometimes right or wrong or good or evil spiritual forces behind a given situation. So here's the deal about a person. A person with discernment sometimes doesn't present as a leader, but they are the secret geniuses on the leadership teams that they are a part of. And I say that because they're kind of like the sniffer dogs at airports. Okay, that's a little bit what they're like. It's like, how did you, how did you do that? How did you know there was cocaine in that trunk? It's like, well, a dog has a sense that you don't have. And in that sense, discernment is like that. There's a person who has a gift that you don't have to sniff out false or true, good or evil. So these are the leading gifts, okay? These are the fire gifts. They bring the burning passion of mission, movement, vision, organization, enlightenment to the church and all the gifts as i said are in some sense organized by or directed through them now last week remember the wind gifted we, we there's there were special lessons that you had and that we needed to learn if we are observing a wind gifted person similarly with um the fire gift so let's begin here number one lesson for you leaders should lead yeah, I know, like it's like super profound. These are the kind of deep insights you will only get 
at Allen Creek Community Church. So this series, seriously, this is important, and I'll tell you why. This is important because most of you think that leaders can't help themselves. They must lead. They will always lead. If there's one thing you don't have to tell them to do, it's lead. Some of you have children who you can already see it. They are clearly spiritually gifted with the gift of bossy pants. You can see that, right? And you see that in them, and, and you didn't put that in them. They, you know, they, they have to control everything. They push back on everything. They correct you on everything. You're sitting there saying, you're four years old, man. But you know, my, my four-year-old, the ones that I know, my, the children in my world that are already leadership-oriented, it's like they're already you know, pushing on, on everything and wanting to lead and teach and be know-it-alls and the whole thing. So the last thing you think you need to tell a bossy pants to do is to be the boss, right? Not so. Not so. Let's go to Brother Paul here. Here's what he says to, in another letter collected for us in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verse 8. If your gift is to encourage others, he says, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now, what is the message here? If you have a gift, use it. Use it, right? Deploy. Begin. Commence. Start. Initiate, right? And this is a fascinating thing. This is really what the point of was our drama here this morning, is that you can have a gift and not use it. If Paul has to put this in writing, you know, why does he waste three precious lines of inspired scripture space to say this incredibly elementary thing you know if you have a gift you use it he has to say it because you are perfectly capable of not using the gifts god's given you you are perfectly capable to be a reborn in the spirit person who has been gifted by god himself who has divinely enabled you to contribute somehow to his purposes in the world and not do that that is perfectly within your skill set and mine in the same way that you can be a, a spirit-filled Christian who has invited the warm and forgiving presence of God into your life and yet live defeated and unproductive because you just simply turn off the power of the Holy Spirit and remain numb to it and grieve the Spirit. In the same way that you can do that and be a real Christian, you can be a real Christian with real gifts and not use that gift. The Spirit doesn't take over you like a demon-possessed person in a Hollywood horror movie. It doesn't work like that, okay? So some of you have had this thought where, oh, I probably am not really gifted in this particular area or in a supernatural way because nothing just sort of came out of me. It doesn't work like that. You have to deploy them. Paul will say to his young apprentice, Timothy, he'll say, 2 Timothy chapter 1, fan the gift into flame it's there god put it in you it's supernatural in that sense god directed the the placement of that gifting in you for his purpose but it sits there like embers until you you yes you you fan it into flame so fire gifted people you hear heed uh, paul's encouragement here if god has given you leadership ability take the responsibility seriously another translation lead with all diligence but now let's go one layer deeper 
and get to the real and perhaps true and ugly secret as to why you may be still riding the pine instead of getting in the game. Okay, And here it might be. Because you know, you know, you've got this much discernment. You know that teaching something, starting something, maintaining something, boldly de- directing something, growing something, all things that leaders do, you know that these things take energy, commitment, passion, initiative. It's hard, in other words. That leadership is hard. Leaders get extra responsibility. Leaders get obligation. And you know. And you say, do I want that in my life? Here's another thing. You also know instinctively that putting yourself out there opens you up to praise. Yes, everybody look at the leader. But also to blame. It opens you up to a fishbowl world where people are now going to look at you. And they're going to judge your actions by your words more than they did before. Before you put on the hat. Leader. Fire gifted. All right, I'm owning it. I'm owning it. And so you know that. And perhaps, friend, this is the very reason why you've put it off. So all I can do for you today, fire gifted person, is just contrast those costs, which I'm going to just tell you, yes, all true. Yes, all true. There will be greater responsibility. There will be greater uh, um, blame. There will be more fishbowl. There will be more eyeballs on you. Yes, all true. But you get front row seats. Here's the payoff. You, more than maybe any of the other four groups, you get front row seats to life change in the kingdom of God. I tell you guys stories, you know, on the weekend sometimes of stuff that's happening. And some of you come up to me and say, thank you so much for telling me. I had no idea that the church was doing this awesome thing. I had no idea that people's lives were being changed. Like, you know, I don't get to see all that. They'll say those literal words to me. And I do, I do, I get to see that. And you, fire gifted person, will get to see that more than others. Probably a lot more than others. You will get to see, depending on if it's evangelism or leadership or teaching or whatever it is, you will get to see that irreligious person, that seeking, investigating, heart-sick person, separated from God, be reconciled to God and move into full maturity and faith and find their purpose in the world. You, you, you get to see that. That's your paycheck. And by the way, if you're ready to get up off the pine and just say, okay, I'm ready to begin, commence, start, initiate. Man, we'll, we'll help you with that. Just call the church office. We've, we've got small groups who want to initiate around here to get people involved in community and, and, and our communal life of the one another's together. We could use leaders in that way, and there's a way for you to begin. All right, secondly, the fire gifted mobilize others. So the fire gifted are going to be in the driver's seat of something, right? That's going to be their job. A classroom of kids, a small group, a ministry, a business, a compassion initiative, a church board. But now, if I, as soon as I say they're going to be in the driver's seat, think about a driver of a car. What are they actually doing with the car? I mean, like, they're, are they in the driver's seat? I guess they are, but are they the fuel? Are they actually moving the car themselves? Are they the engine? Are they the technology? Are they the wheels? No, they're not the work. So you remember this. You, fire-gifted person, are the mobilizer, and that's it. And that's it. You can't do it all. But you can mobilize the church to do it all. Like everything the church is required to do, the whole project. Listen again to Brother Paul, Ephesians 4, verse 7. He, that is Christ, 
personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. All right, so I already said this, right? The scriptures will sometimes collate, group the gifts, just like we're doing in the series. This is one of those cases. So you can see all the fire gifts, or most of them, are, have been collated here by Paul. In some translations, now, or so, so Paul is basically saying, all of these in this group are there, have been given for a specific purpose, right? And you ask yourself the question, what is that? What is that purpose? Now, what's interesting about that is that in some translations, the verse in English, like in the King James Version and also in the Revised Standard Version, the three parts of this sentence were, uh, were separated by a comma. And so it would read, very interesting, and, and just see if you can track with me on this. Here's how it would read. It would read, all these gifts have been given for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the building of the church. That's how the original Greek was read and translated. And, and by the way, what an amazing, different uh, understanding of that verse. Uh, the, the, reading it that way with those commas, uh, the verse reads that those with the leading gifts do everything, right? They do the equipping, they do the working, and they do the building. But that's the wrong way to render the original. And so scholars, after uh, they sort of realized that, started to calling the comma that was put in old translations after equipping of the saints, they called it the fatal comma. And why is that? Because that one misplaced bit of punctuation communicated that only the special ministers do the work of the ministry, not all the saints. And it made a super class out of clerics whose job it was to do everything and then just a bunch of sheep as the underclass whose job it was simply to receive. That's, that's what one comma can do. And so take out the fatal comma and you avoid that fatal error which goes directly against this big biblical theme of the priesthood of every believer erase that comma and instead the verse tells us exactly why did jesus give the fire gifts why for what for the purpose of equipping god's people god's people for the work of the ministry so that the church may be built up and that's the correct way to understand that that sentence so ministry is not the sole work of professionals it is the inheritance of every priest in the kingdom of god and, and so purpose is everybody's, responsibility is everybody's to own the mission of the church. And the job at the top is simply to equip and unleash. And that's important, okay, I'm telling, I'm saying this to the fire gifted people, right? Look, your job is to mobilize everybody else. Everybody else for just one second. It is not the job of the professional pastor, leader, evangelist, prophet, teacher, to do everything for you. They're not there to do the heavy lifting in your Christian life. That's not their job. What is their job? They're there to unleash you, to equip you, to mobilize you. So we all then are doing the whole project of the church together and successfully. You, fire-gifted person, are not there. You see, we both buy into it, right? The fire gifted buy into it because it makes us feel important. I do it all. I do it all. And you buy into it because then you can kind of have spiritual parents that you rely on. It's like, you know, 
I, I got to have my pastor shepherd leader teacher who will spoon feed everything into me and I'm not really responsible to take care of my own spiritual feeding or development. See, we both buy into the myth. No fire gifted person, your job, you deploy others. You encourage them in their gifting. And by the way, in that way, you serve them. You are here, fire gifted person, to serve others by helping them rise to the zenith of their potential to call out in them their spiritual gifting not so that you can use them up so you can rise to the zenith of your potential and that is the definition of servant leadership so that you say i i'm here to catalyze mobilize and inflame everybody else around me and guess what if i'm a fire gifted person that is how i feel fruitful and fulfilled that is when i rise to the zenith of my potentials when you do because that's my job that is the service i perform for the group all right finally in the third thing the fire gifted need others. Again, Brother Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 20. Now there are many parts, but one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, all the more those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And this just carries forward the point that I made about mobilization of others. The day you figure out that God may have put you in this group, is the day that pride may rise in your spirit. This happened for me when I was 15 years old, and I'm freshly saved, and I begin to share a couple of devotionals in youth group settings, and people say, hey, that had impact. That, that mattered. That, that moved the ball along for me. I, I got new insight. And it's like, I got a teaching gift. And to use Paul's analogy here with the body, you know, I start saying to myself, like, I, I, I might be the hand in the body. And like, what would the body do without its hand? Look at all the things a hand can do. Look at, look at how important it is. Where would the body be without the hand? So I went to Bible college, which is where all useful hands go. And my first, the first mark in my preaching class was a D, a D, so not a very well manicured hand, apparently. And, uh, and then God led me to areas of ministry that, that really just exploded this growing pride in the fact that I am the super class and going back to the false reading of Ephesians 4, 7, that I had to do it all. So I began to lead a hospital chaplaincy team that visited patients and put on services for them. And I felt really frustrated, honestly. So visiting those patients was the hardest thing in the world for me. I, I could, and I was frustrated by that. I mean, I liked everything else. I liked meeting with my team. I liked talking over strategy. I liked preparing messages for the little chapel services that we put on. But I hate, and I mean I hated, visiting strangers who were sick. And, and this really disturbed me. Like I said to myself, wait a minute, here I am, a pastor in training. You know, I'm the hand, I'm the really important thing. And I'm supposed to have all the gifts. That's kind of like my job, right? Like I'm supposed to have all the gifts. And so why was it then uh, that um, whenever I entered into a room with a sick person, I would sweat, I'd get nervous, I'd develop rocks in my gut, I would stammer, I'd say something moronic like, so, you're sick? That, that must be a real bummer, you know? And then people like who are, you know, older, I'm, like, I'm 18, like keep in mind my age, like I'm 18, 19 years old, and so people 60, 65, they're dying of cancer, they'd look at me like, who sent this punk up here? Like, where's his badge? Like, how... Who let this guy, who, who authorized this? You could just see it come over them. And I would just stammer through and push through. Well, one day I remember this. The new girl came on the team. I still remember her name, Jody Hamilton. 
and it was my job to take Jody up and show her the ropes because I've been doing this for two years. So I'm going to show Jody how to, you know, how to do it. So what do I do? I get into this room with a sick person, and, um, and, and they've, they've asked for a hospital visit from a chaplain. So there we show up, 19 years old, all 19 years old of us, you know. And, um, and what do I do? I default to my gift, which is primarily teaching. So I, so I teach, you know. So, and I'm sorry for you, Alan Creek, because this is what I do for you, too. So you come in for counsel, and instead of, you know, great advice and awesome in-depth counsel and listening and empathy, you get teaching. That's what you get, right? My kids come to me for bubble gum, they get a sermon. You know, so that is my, that is my default thing. So that's what I do. So I'm just sitting there, I'm kind of teaching. So I'm waxing on, you know. Now listen, I'll give you a hot tip, okay? People who are sick in the hospital, and, you know, they're really struggling spiritually, they just love teaching. Oh, yeah, they love that. Like, more pat answers. Just give me more pat, you know, answers that you've never worked through or thought through as a 19-year-old person. You give me that when I'm sick and maybe dying. No, I can't get enough of that when you're sick. All right, so that's me, right? And, um, and, and I'm kind of showing her how it's done. So I'm in the middle of some, you know, treatise on the sovereignty of God and free will of people and whatever. And Jody just pipes up and inserts herself a little bit and say, could I ask a question here? And I remember kind of pausing a little bit, and in my spirit, I was just like, well, I guess if you think you have something to add, rookie. Uh, and I, but I just, I just shut up just long enough to observe. And what I observed just changed my view of the body of Christ forever and how I'd, how I'd missed it. It was just obviously a pride thing. And, and this humble rookie, I just watched her. She drew out with gentle questions what was going on in that person's spirit. With empathy, she related. She mourned to this person. There was authentic tears. She shared a relevant scripture, and then she prayed. And then we walked out of that room, and I looked at her, and I literally, I remember, said, Jody, how did you do that? And you know the answer. If you've been paying attention, you know the answer. The answer is the Holy Spirit of God has divinely enabled her to give mercy and to shepherd and to care. And I don't have those gifts. Friends, sometimes we, the fire gifted, who think we have all the gifts, are standing in the way of those who have the right gifts for the right time at the right situation. Your job is to mobilize them and catalyze them and then stand back and watch the church work because there's nothing like the church, when the church is working right. Fire gifted people, you are the key to that. Rise up off the bench and take your place. Now Dan's going to come and give us some great application on this. How do we take this home? All right, Dan, show us.